Susan Taylor podcast, where we discuss the yoga of mind, medicine, and healing. Author of Feeling Good Matters, Sexual Radiance, and the Vital Energy Program, Dr. Taylor imparts authentic knowledge and practical tools that inspire, educate, and empower us to be a healing force for positive change. So join us and take your life and our planet to the next level. Hello and welcome to episode 73, Does Inflammation Affect Your Mood? A look at lifestyle and diet factors. If you're struggling with feeling the blues or feeling anxious, research continues to say that our gut may be a place to look for a solution. In today's podcast, I'd like to discuss the gut-brain connection, inflammation on your brain and behavior, and give you a starter kit to start feeling good. Have you ever experienced fatigue, brain clouding, flat mood? You know, we may call it anxiety or stress. And modern practices might even say, take a prescription pill or a potion to get rid of it all. But does that really solve the root issue? This usually is the common protocol that we find in modern day society. And although recently there has been some awareness, you know, created to look at the underlying factors, There hasn't been much effort in looking at the individual as a whole based on working with individual biochemistry. But what do we know? You know, we know that prescriptions many times have side effects that in many cases cause other problems. We also know that a one-size-fits-all strategy really goes against the intelligence of the organism in question because the root cause is so unique to each one of us that it really needs to be taken into consideration. And we also know that health agendas are driven by quick fixes, economic bases, and really developed to satisfy the inpatient mind, someone that wants quick, fast results, something that may have been a whole lifetime of creating. Medicine has known about the role of the immune system in certain presentations of depression or anxiety, you know, for the better part of the last century. And more recently, research has found a correlation between altered immune set points and inflammation and models of mood disorders. They call it the sick behavior. And there's a controversy on that. So I'm not going to get too far into that. But although we have a correlation between mental function and immune function, there is some kind of There is a correlation for sure. It is, as I just mentioned, controversial. We know that 70% of our immune system mechanisms are largely housed in the gut. And that interplay between the gut and the brain is so complex and profoundly important that we really need to be looking at it. And science is doing that. They're exploring what is that connection. We all recognize that anxiety or nervousness can impact our gut. And most of us have had the butterfly feeling before a presentation or even a performance. And even a performance might even create irritable bowel issues. I've mentioned before in previous podcasts and blogs that the gut-brain relationship is bi-directional. And I mentioned that a gassy gut creates a foggy mind and a calm gut creates a calm mind. You know, it works both ways. 
I've also mentioned that the vagus nerve is a primary conduit of information and that inflammatory markers are the vehicles traveling this bi-directional highway. So when I work with new clients, we work with breath. Scientists have studied the protective effects of severing this nerve with animals and that are exposed to gut-related toxins, and they found that it normally can cause depressive symptoms. So that's where they get that correlation with, in this case, depression. But let's take a look at inflammation. If we just take a sidetrack here for a minute, because we're talking about inflammation. Inflammation is the body's response to an injury, and it works to heal wounds, but it also plays a role in some chronic diseases. It's the body's way of signaling the immune system to heal and repair damaged tissue as well as defend itself against any kind of foreign invaders that come in to the body, such as viruses and bacteria. So what does inflammation do? Once inflammation is active, it's highly self-perpetuating. These inflammatory cytokines travel through the body causing oxidative stress to the fragile machinery of the tissues of our mitochondria. The mitochondria are our powerhouses. So in the brain, inflammation serves to really change the chemical pathways of neurotransmitters causing possibly anxiety provoking chemicals. It's been suggested that as we age, the levels of these inflammatory chemicals, which I called cytokines, within the body increase. And it's specifically these inflammatory chemicals that are both correlated with the rate at which our brain degenerates, as well as the degree of cognitive impairment that we may experience during the aging process. In a report published in the Journal of Therapeutic Advances in Chronic Disease, Yale researchers described in great detail the mechanisms relating to inflammation, to progressive damage in the brain, as well as what happens to the brain performance during these processes. It's quite a report if you want to look that up. In addition, they speculate as to how these understandings of brain degeneration might relate to creating further therapeutic interventions. What we do understand today is at least one very important mechanism that relates lifestyle choices to inflammation and therefore to brain inflammation, specifically to cognitive decline. And much research has focused on the important role of elevated blood sugar, for example, as it relates to the process. And if I put it in a simple statement, even mild elevations of blood sugar over time increase the ability of blood sugar to bind the proteins. It's a process called glycation. And when the protein becomes glycated, again, as a consequence of persistent blood sugar elevation, it dramatically increases the production in the body of inflammatory chemicals. And what happens is it directly relates to the brain decline. And there was some great work done by Jeffrey Bland, who's a biochemist, uh, who really set that motion going with glycation in the brain. So the focus of the report really brings to our attention the fundamental role of inflammation in brain degeneration. And with that said, one of the most important critical lifestyle changes you can make today right now to reduce inflammation is to make dietary changes to reduce your blood sugar. And people are aware of this now. What happens is it leads to a reduction of glycation, which will pave the way for better brain health and functionality, as well as resistant to age-related decline.
As we gain more insight on how inflammation affects the brain, it is becoming increasingly clear that there's a surprising uh, you know, specificity on the impact of inflammation and behavior, and it's apparent to the neurocircuits and neurotransmitter systems. It's a very complex system, but it's something that research has really uncovered for us. Because in terms of neurotransmitter systems involved, inflammation reduces the availability of our neurotransmitters like serotonin, as I mentioned, dopamine, and norepinephrine. I mentioned them as uh, mood, you know, neurotransmitters in general, but these are our main three. They're called monoamine neurotransmitters. And they're all used to regulate our moods as well as other functions, of course. So let's turn now and look at the cause of inflammation, and it does stem from many sources, including the hallmarks of our modern American lifestyle. And as I mentioned, sugar in the form of fructose and sucrose spikes insulin and triggers the release of inflammatory cytokines. And as I mentioned earlier, it forms advanced glycation end products when it binds to proteins, and then it oxidizes lipids, which form cell and mitochondrial, that form in the cell and mitochondrial membranes, causing them to become dysfunctional. We also have chemicals in our daily uh, lifestyle, pesticides, environmental pollution from industrial waste. We also have hormonally modulating plastics, as well as when people put pesticides on their lawn because they don't want to have a mosquito or uh, something that they're worried about, they're also hormonally modulating uh, chemicals. Fire retardants, even cosmetics and household products. What these additives do is they stimulate our immune system to various extent, and they actually disrupt the, you know, the optimal production of energy on a cellular level and making our vulnerable tissues, like the thyroid gland, for example, start to break down. We also have pathogens and uh, the herbicides, you know, they're designed to kill and they actually do, fungicides. Adulterated grains, notice I don't say gluten grains because when gluten is adulterated, it becomes a problem, not in the natural grain itself. And also genetically modified foods. What they do is they promote intestinal permeability, which changes our intestinal flora, and somebody may, you may see it as gut flora, and that facilitates growth of, of pathogenic bacteria, yeasts, fungus, which keep our immune system in a state of alarm. We also have stress, and that's broadly defined, and it represents really the ultimate link between our hormones and inflammation, because stress, whether it's psychological or physiologic, it triggers the release of cortisol, that's just one hormone. And cortisol helps to mobilize the blood sugar so that you could run efficiently and effectively from that tiger that's chasing you. It also acts as a systematic immune uh, suppressant, lowering the levels of a molecule called secretory IgA. And that's an important bodyguard of the gut mucosa. So cortisol and insulin are like stress response sisters, and high cortisol states will also contribute to the insulin resistant or high insulin and high sugar while in the cells, you know, keeps them really starving. So insulin protects our fat storage. In other words, it inhibits lipolysis or the, the breakdown of fat. And that's where we get the metabolic syndrome, et cetera, and all the things related to that. And it actually 
changes testosterone and estradiol levels, contributing to states of estrogen dominance while also increasing DHEA, all of these terms. These are all hormones related to our sexuality and, you know, testosterone, estrogen, estradiol, and also the androgens to fluid, uh, to fuel that process. That's where you get, you know, acne, hair growth, agitation, all of that from the androgens. So cortisol also inhibits the conversion of storage thyroid hormone to its active state. Very interesting if we have too much stress. And what is stress? As I always say, a perceived threat. And if we learn to relax, remain calm, train ourselves in, say, meditation, for example, we can start stepping back and looking at what that really looks like. So I said it, it uh, cortisol from stress uh, really inhibits the conversion of storage of thyroid hormone to the active hormone, and it leads to states of hypothyroidism, even with normal-looking laboratory results, believe it or not. So where do we begin to activate our healing force? Well, here's the good news. When we approach illness like anxiety or depression, uh, it is viewed as complex. It's a nonspecific symptom. Each person is so unique, but it does reflect a state of bodily disharmony. And of course, disharmony within the mind. Because it isn't that you're born with bad genes or low serotonin. I mean, you may have something that's not normal in the beginning, but it's not that we're created that way. It's far more likely that we're experiencing an unhealthy inflammatory balance driven by cortisol dis uh, dysfunction, for example, and stemming from a compromised gut. And lifestyle is very, very important, as I mentioned. We could come at modifying our system, putting it back in balance from many angles. We can use medical um, input, of course. We can use pharmaceuticals. We can also use lifestyle changes. You have to think about how you want to create the strategy for that. And I work with people on one-on-one on creating that strategy by incorporating all factors so that we can live in the world in harmony and balance and enjoy our life. But here's a basic starter kit. I always say meditate. The effects of relaxing the nervous system with 20 minutes of meditation daily is a great goal to aspire to you know, enhanced genomic expression of anti-inflammatory genes and suppression of inflammatory ones has definitely been demonstrated in the research with working with meditation as a practice. I also suggest movement. Movement is one of my primary recommendations. It actually gives you such cardiovascular benefit and it enhances our mitochondrial health because it pulls the system in motion to create space that's needed for optimal functioning. It gets our respiration moving, but I always combine movement with breath. Then we have diet, one of my favorite specialties. I recommend a diet that controls for glycemic fluctuations through elimination of refined carbs and grains and through high levels of natural fats to enable the body to relearn how to use foods for fuel. And then my last kit, my last suggestion in this starter kit is strategic supplementation. I just had one of uh, my clients say that it was recommended, uh, I, I think it was about, I'm not exaggerating here, $1,200 worth of supplements uh, to take to get rid of inflammation. But if the gut is not able to digest those, you're actually putting the fire, even putting more insult on the insult that is there. Can you believe that? Well, it's true. Because natural 
if we use strategic supplementation, it's you do it in an increment of sy precise, systematic way to introduce those to the system. So you're you're actually detoxing at the same time you're nourishing in a very, very special way. That's why it's not a scalable business for medicine. And that's why it's not done that way. Because you have to really take everyone and take the time and really work through it individually. And there's some natural anti-inflammatories like polyunsaturated fats, evening primrose oil, fish oils. Uh, you can also use... Um, the natural flax oil, but you have to know where you're getting that. Curcumin is the active co component of turmeric. I always suggest you take the whole herb, even though uh, medicine hasn't really put that together yet, that just using curcumin, you're missing some of the greatest element compounds that we don't even know about that make the whole plant such a great plant. And probiotics, to name a few. These help promote a synergy of beneficial effects from any of these innovations that, you know, and uh, interventions that I'm talking about with diet. Again, I always advise clients to remain calm and begin one step at a time. Each person is unique, so diet and supplementation suggestions need to be individual. I always add the practice of meditation so the mind can focus on new things and get new results. Remember, don't be lured into the simplicity of a one diet disease, one solution. There's no room for you in that equation. And after all, you're a unique, you're so unique in your mind, body, and spiritual integration that this should be honored. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. And the Susan Taylor podcast does come out every week. And it's available on SusanTaylor.org, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and other podcast formats. And visit SusanTaylor.org for more information or to connect with us. Any questions, comments, or feedback. And you can also email your comments to feedback at SusanTaylor.org because I'd love to hear from you. And if you want to get involved, you can join the Healing Force Facebook group, thesusantaylor.org slash Facebook, and we'll let you in. Thank you for listening, and until next time, remain calm, consciously aware, living in the moment.